0: Welcome to Foundation and Podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Foundation on Apple TV+. This week, we're covering Season 1, Episode 4, Barbarians at the Gate. Respect and enjoy the podcast. All right, Aaron, what do you think of Episode
1: 4? You know, I really liked this episode. Um, I thought that they are really making the Terminus stuff interesting, um i thought the i'm continuing i mean i'm continuing to be impressed at how well they're telling the story of like this empire falling um from without from within um you know it's like it's a house divided against itself literally uh it seems like at a lot of points in this episode and uh i like i said they're they continue to flesh out the terminus stuff i think having the Anacreons Arca- uh, and Acreons, a little bit more fleshed out, um, weaving in some of that stuff from the pilot episode, the the gifts and the bows. And the, I, I don't know, it's, it, it feels like they're they're really building something here. What, what did you think?
0: Uh, yeah, I largely agree. I will say I continue to be far more interested in the Imperial stuff than in the Terminus stuff uh, so far. I do agree, though, that they're they're building something out there that could be interesting uh, once we get kind of moving on that maybe I'll be more excited about it, but what is there with the empire is fascinating to me yet again, this episode. uh, I truly appreciate the irony of everything that they're doing there um, with the empire, you know, trying to prevent a crisis of faith within its population, its subjects, and yet having one within itself at the very moment um, that they're trying to do that. It's, there's kind of a delicious irony there. Uh, the the themes of faith and purpose and legacy that they're exploring here are very interesting as well. Um, seen through this clone lineage, it, it's all very good,
1: um, and I'm thoroughly enjoying that stuff. Yeah, I in in fact, like I said, I I I don't have very many criticisms or critiques at this at this point. Like it just feels like they're telling telling a great story the 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 only thing I'm a little bit surprised is uh you know harden we knew that she was special because she is resistant to the void field or the the null field to call it mm-hmm. but like it seems like she's got a lot more things that are special about her like this yeah. kind of like precognition or intuition that they're calling it um I'm I'm really kind of surprised that they're they're weaving in something like that, something non-material, mm-hmm. uh, or apparently non-material. I, I guess I'd call it supernatural. I don't think you, even within the show's framework that there's that, that they they understand it, or at least they haven't advanced the understanding of it yet. So I'm I'm a little surprised about that, but I'm not put off by it. Like I thought that was one of the great things about uh, you know Game of Thrones is the way they melded kind of like real world kind of crunchy politic with. You know, just just a a touch of magic and. Mm -hmm. And in this case,
0: like uh, statistics. Yeah, the stuff they're doing with coin flip is interesting when paired also with the statisticians who are called in. Uh, Yeah. You know, there's a lot of intricate storytelling and they expect you to just kind of pick this stuff up and run with it because they're not going to hold your hand too much. It's one of the things I like about this show. It's also one of the things I could understand would be challenging for a lot of viewers, myself included at at times. The first Uh, time through this, I had a lot of like, what the fuck kind of questions. Second time through, I was picking up a lot more. So
1: this this show is one of those that does reward multiple viewings. Now, Sometimes people take that as a criticism. Like, well, shit, if it's you know, you should be able to get everything on the first go. Like, ah. I mean, like I said, it's, I, it's, I'm never at the end of these episodes thinking like, "Oh my god, I don't know what the hell is happening at all." No, but like, it's usually I I start teasing out those things, like you said, like the uh, the dressing down of the stati- statisticians with the statistical unlikelihood of Harden's little coin trick at the end. Like, I mm-hmm. thought that stuff was was really good, and also, like, yeah, why we're in the subject of of Empire screaming and yelling at people. Um, I think Lee Pace, and I i can't from, uh, remember the older character actor that's doing bro- the Brother Dusk work, I think those guys, in particular, are doing a very good job at having a distinct characterization, and, like, it really does feel like Brother Dusk is the old Brother Day, mm-hmm. and just the way that they talk to the new Brother Day, or the new Brother Dawn, and and uh, the it seems like massive inferiority complex that the current brother day feels towards the current brother. Dusk. Like I, I think that stuff is surprising. Like I, I, I remember in a preseason coverage, like, I don't know, is brother dusk, brother day, brother dawn. maybe it's a smart way to keep a, like uh, some kind of continuity of villains throughout the sprawl, but it just keeps paying off. It just keeps paying off. Um, yeah. I'm very curious about what, where they're going to the suicidal arc maybe fall in love with the palace uh, gardener kind of arc. I, I I I don't know about that, but mm-hmm. shit, why not? Uh, I, I was listening to the official podcast. They say that that's going to go to surprising in, in surprising directions. So if you've yeah. got that to look forward to. Uh,
0: yeah, that'll be interesting. Um, the, the other thing that they're doing that is not, you know, handholdy is another one of those sort of generational things. Like you said, they're, They're lending distinct personalities to the characters that they're embodying, but also they are expecting you to keep pace with that change pretty profoundly. Like they are laying a lot of weight of this episode on the idea that you can understand that this is Brother Dusk is the exact same Brother Day that we saw in the first two episodes. Yes. Set all of this stuff in motion. and there are moments where they like brush up against telling you that, but it, yeah, a lot yeah, of it is yeah. just inferred through the dialogue and the, the way that they interact. And I liked that part of it.
1: Yeah, I, I did too. That's why I saw some, like the way they're able to keep that stuff consistent um, and keeping track of it doesn't feel like a chore. Uh, yeah, I think it's, I think it's great. And it's uh, given me high hopes for, uh, you know, where they're going to go at the end of this episode or at the end of the season rather. And hopefully if we're lucky enough that we get the multiple seasons, um, Where it's going to go in the future? Yeah,
0: and they're they're doing some heavy lifting too with the uh, previously on every once in a while. Like I I, I would not have remembered that exact way that Brother Don answered the the question about what they should do with the Anacreons and you know the the fear versus the strength that they need to show. I Mm. I wouldn't remember that exact line, but they show it at the beginning. So
1: so I'm a a good control case because like I you know I had to travel hell uh, getting back home this weekend from uh, from Portland. So I had to watch a lot of this. Most of my watches in this episode were on my cell phone or on my tablet. And in a version that didn't have any previously on, it was just credits to, you know, like credit sequence to in credit sequence. But I didn't I didn't feel like I missed a beat. But, uh, you know, I'm watching these episodes several times a week and, you know, really boning up on it, listening to the official podcasts, uh, lurking on the. The you know our discords and, our, and and the subreddit and all that kind of stuff. So like I feel like I'm really really plugged into the show. But you, you're right. It's 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 nice that they have that for people who are only watching it once and just kind of having having fun with it because yeah, or a little it is slow this, little memory this, challenge this is, like me. <laughs> yeah this this is challenging. It's not. I mean yeah. it's so much more accessible than the original material though. I will say that.
0: Yes, um, I, I
1: agree. I agree. The stories they're telling yeah. are more. Uh, personal right and, and therefore relatable yeah so they're doing a great job at the adaptation I think I agree
0: maybe we should get into the beginning of this episode let's do it All right, first let's take a quick break discover why critics are calling kingdom of the planet of the apes the best film of the
1: franchise
0: what a wonderful day All right, we start off with uh, brother Don leaping from a tower uh, to, presumably to his death but he's saved by his personal shield a palace attendant witnesses it and runs off and then we get kind of a funeral montage let's say for what looks to be a very powerful religious figure uh, which we'll find out later exactly all the details of this stuff that there are some, some rockets fired off they hit a planet uh demmerzel is looking at all this through a hollow uh feed yeah it's it's interesting i I was trying to figure out what was happening here and it all i was guessing along the way like as i'm writing my notes i'm like i think this is a religious figure i think this is a funeral ceremony i think you know this is essentially like the the papal uh
1: smoke things like that and yes yes that's exactly what it turned out to be and it's interesting because they uh I've gone kind of back and forth on the Gale narration, uh, but I, I think it's it's well, I mean, it's clearly a vital part of the show, the, the storytelling. But I think it really worked again in this episode because she's contrasting, you know, psychohistory's helplessness to forecast individual events and like the mm. Empire jumping off and trying to kill himself as a singular event, a singular individual. But yeah. like, you know, Harry stuff uh, excels at, you know, picking up societal trends and religious fervors and things like that. And the death of this religious figure in, in this uh, religious movement that will grow to appreciate is called the, the luminance, I believe. Um, That's that's a, a, a movement. That's a faith. That's something that holds sway over, I think, tr- three trillion people. They said it out of eight trillion in the galaxy. But yet that's an individual that brought like an individual death brought that, that, that the mass reaction, that individual death. Um, and it's like, they keep on doing these, like, I, I, I call it like looking at different ends of the telescope where it's like, you know, one individual's death had this profound impact and is having a huge impact on the galaxy. One individual's not death has a very intimate effect on a singular person. Um, and especially when you talk about like how this religious is going to be over the singular versus, you know, the, the multiple and whether they have souls or not, I just thought that stuff was, uh, was a great way to tie again. They, it, they always come back. It's like, you know, like I, I think it is a challenge to keep people engaged in determinist stuff because as you said, the empire stuff is just so much more colorful, um, and has so much more lore, um, and, to, and, and just, you know, like, like, it seems like the stakes are bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, but just clearly keep building these narrative links between the two halves. I think is working really well. Um, and and also, also they're they're just interleaved better this episode. It wasn't yeah, like yeah. the Lord of the Rings style. Here's a book that's got Frodo and Sam, and then you go, oh god, we got an Aragorn and Legolas and Gimli book <laughs> before we get back and find out what's going on. The having this being a little bit it works so much better, and and that's because they've you know the the character of time much like gale has been kind of took a t- kind of took a ride in the sleeper ship we 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 dispensed with right. time for just an episode and it, it it really helped the narrative i thought yeah yeah it's it's pared back a little because we're not jumping around so much must um, have been a lot easier to break and, and they even mentioned sure. the official podcast like how much time it took to break those first three episodes and then they just really started firing like on this episode forward so maybe that means there's not going to be as many massive jumps back and forth that we're going to have a, it feels like the stage is set for this first crisis and mm-hmm. we can kind of stay here. Maybe some flashbacks and some stuff like that, but like yeah, a whole episode if 400 years in a few, I don't know if we're going to do that again. Mm-hmm. This yeah. is the season. Well, who knows? Who knows?
0: Uh, so I have questions about this. Uh, what is, what is Don up to here? And we find out of course, more, about uh, what's going to happen with him later in the episode but initially it looks to be so, some sort of way for him to it, it, because it, it, you remember last episode where we left him right he had just grown up into on a, a young man and a shit uh, sure he, he erased the mural above his crib mm-hmm. right which I assume like a like, shit do it, it, did he have like I don't know. Was there a Metallica mural up next to the (laughs) to the one that Brother Dusk had painted
1: for him? Is there? Yeah, that was the day he moved out of his crib. He's like, you know, I'm too (laughs) big for all this stuff. I need (laughs) the wow. (laughs) Then he put up the Metallica posters. Yeah, sure. It's like our cat outgrowing the cat bed.
0: Uh, Is (laughs) so is this like his attempt to? it break the stagnation of the empire. What has he learned lessons from, from what, uh, brother Dusk tried to teach know. him because there's a lot of like out of step type of stuff with brother Don in this episode. He's not,
1: y- yes. you know, l-
0: falling in exactly in line. He's not lifting his wine glass the exact same way and the exact same hand. He's missing
1: his verbal cues. Yeah,
0: right. He's, he's like late with the, the
1: salute, uh, at times and way too late way too old for him to be doing this shit too yeah yeah. you know the old nine-year-old brother day or don who's now brother day was much more on it you know it seemed to me at an earlier age so what do you think they're suggesting because i got my theories
0: i mean my my guess is that he's experiencing some kind of like angst uh because he is a young man right he's like 18 19 i think they said uh and that he has a, a lot of um issues about who he is w- w- who they are um and whether any of this is right or makes sense uh as as things are sort of unfurling in the empire
1: yeah, they talk, they had that thing about, uh, you know, man at the end of his life, you know, getting angsty about his legacy. And I wonder if that is the same about young men at the beginning of their life, because, you know, a traditional empire, this would be a young kid, ambitious, vying for his uh, father's spot. And as soon as he's capable, um, you know, like, who knows? Uh this is just all regiment like no regardless of how ready you are to rule the the empire you got to wait till you're 30 man mm-hmm. um and also i i kept on comparing this to like uh because i just marathon the sopranos like tony soprano always was talking about he was born too late you know like the real like gotcha. like this was like yeah. the, this was this was the post rico Kind of like turning the lights off last call, I guess, turning the lights on everybody time that the, the good times are over. Mm-hmm. And like if he was in his dad's era, his uncle June's era and it was the money was easy and, you, you, you know, there's some honor to it and people didn't snitch on you. I, I feel like that the empire, that brother Dawn might be feeling a little bit about that. That like he is living in a empire in decline, even though there's these advanced metrics that the mathematicians are, you know, assuring mm-hmm. that, oh no, we're still growing, still flourishing. Man, we still got this 35 year old Pittner world that's causing problems to our reactors and causing riots and shit. I, I do, I, I wonder if part of it is just him like like being the first to kind of experience this decline and like not knowing what to do with it. It's also plausible that the teenage empire is just kind of a shit and they go through a period where like he knows how to do everything right. He's just kind of being rebellious um, and and maybe maybe this happens to all of them. But yeah, this is the I feel like it
0: could be the, the, you know, the idea that you can't predict an individual, right? Like, oh, you can predict that all the Cleons will be roughly the same. But what about that individual?
1: Yeah. Especially when it seems like this brother, I mean, I remember the other brother day was like really kind and patient. It felt like, you know, um, and not telling the kids, like, "Hey, you're 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 a pussy for being afraid," but like showing, like, well, what you need to do when you're feeling afraid is be strong for the people. Whether hmm. you agree with that, but you know, whether you agree with what he was doing, right or wrong, it doesn't matter. He was actually mentoring this child. Where the current brother day, the old brother Don, is just has zero patience for this kid and and the other thing i'm wondering (laughs) let's say he's dealing with
0: a 19 year old versus a nine-year-old right so you can maybe understand you need to pick this stuff up
1: kid you got 10 years before you're gonna be me so right yeah um the other thing i wonder is like is it possible that there's some genetic drift going on like that this cloning process Uh... isn't 100% because like yeah, they, they talked about his pain, and I, I think you're supposed to read that as pain from the injury that, like, you know, hmm. maybe some of that kinetic energy popped through. There's a lot of questions I have about that. But, like, also, like, maybe there's something physically wrong with the, em- the Emperor. Um, I hadn't considered that. Um, yeah, I wonder how
0: much more we're going to learn about the cloning process and its
1: infallibility versus, uh you know, what the truth might be. And it sounds like there's a whole bunch of shit we're going to, like, there's a lot of fucking, you know, check off statements in this episode <laughs> and, and like foreshadowing, yeah. like the fact that, uh, you know, uh, uh, the the prime emperor has never set foot off Trantor since the beginning of genetic light. Well, we're about to do like, I, I, I had a whole bunch of questions like, well, what if one of these clones just dies in the middle of a decanting sequence? like at 15 or 45 or whatever. Do they have like, because they had mini clones. Like, do they have stage like all kinds of different stages? Or like do they just thaw one out early? Or do they have do they skip a dusk generation? Like what what do they do? And I I bet we get the answers to some of this because it seems like the Empire's really heading towards some rough times, man. Yeah. Um I'm I'm looking forward to seeing all that. I have so many other
0: questions about this very very first scene, right? There's like dimmerzells reaction to the the religious uh funeral here she has a very emotional reaction to it she's seen crying essentially and i'm wondering why is this is this a consequence of her true faith does she see this as a very sad thing because she's a member of the luminists or or is this some portent that she sees in the fall of the empire the truth of harry seldon's words sort of coming to to a mm. beginning right the beginning of the end as as they say at the end of
1: the episode. Did you, did it seem like Demersel was watching a uh, comet shoemaker Levy hit Jupiter? I, you know, like, I, that planet looks a hell of a lot like Jupiter. And it looked a hell of a lot like what I've seen a uh, representation of that comet hitting. And I wonder huh. like, what the, the hell are they trying to suggest? Yeah. I don't know. Uh, you know, just like cosmic, cause they t- talk about the clockwork of civilization, right? Like, you know, that, uh, I don't. I, I. I. I'm not sure exactly, but it felt like that's what they were they were suggesting there. And I wasn't sure, maybe the inevitability or the unfeeling of the cosmos. That like, if Jupiter had been a populated planet, you know, it would have been just fucked up pretty bad. So I. I don't know what they're playing at there. Yeah, there is some interesting stuff they're they're doing with the voiceover and faith,
0: um, specifically because they're trying to push it sort of out of the purview of control. By any human being, right? By any entity mm-hmm. the, that we understand. They push it into the purview of the infinite, which is interesting because, yes, you could say, okay, what happens after death is certainly not controllable by humans. But then you could also say that humans are inherently the source of religion. And therefore, Harry Seldon could easily predict. What would happen uh with with the religions of the galaxy, right? So it it then yeah. comes nicely back into the purview of
1: humanity through psychohistory. It's right, super right, interesting. Right. Yeah, no, I, it's, I, I, if anything, this this makes the psychohistory stuff more interesting than I remember it being in the books.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah,
1: and that was like the the big draw. So like, yeah, I I 100 agree with all, all that. Okay, let's move on here to Brother Day's
0: servant. Um, Well, wanting to serve him, let's say, uh, serve him up a slice of herself. I'd say Uh, he asks that she try and touch him and he demonstrates how his personal shield works. Uh, And then Demerzel interrupts them with an urgent matter. And I I couldn't help but think as I'm watching this very, very slow touch getting through the shield that there's one flaw in the shield plan and it is the saving private Ryan's slow knife stab Oh, would not yeah. be prevented by the shield right it'd be it the softest like, of yeah, knife
1: this, touches this is uh they're borrowing a page from dune because they have like uh all the royals wear a personal shield and there's a whole school of knife fighting and fighting like you know like like getting that knife just you know you want to be very fast but like the last that you have to get it like just just very huh. smooth in at the end um nice i I, I first of all, this is a great scene. It works because Lee Pace is very fucking sexy of course. and this didn't feel like creepy or gross. It feels like I don't know, there might be a billion men and women that line up outside the royal household to want to service him for twenty-four hours just for like, you know, <laughs> like like there's a lottery for it. Like yeah. <laughs> you got to pay the fucking fast pass plus to get ahead of that line <laughs> sure. because he just like this, this would come across really cringy if it's he just was like the thirst games. I've seen the hunger games. This is the thirst games, <laughs> <laughs> the thirsty games. Yeah, no, this, this she's the winner for today. And, mm-hmm. uh, she's not even going to get to, not even going to get the ride the e-ticket. Uh, I, I, I thought that, yeah, it's, it's, it's neat. And also, Every question you have about the way this force field works is directly connected to the shit going on at Terminus, which I thought was a brilliant way to like, you know, right. the same technology to protect the empire, protects our whole. F- well, I bet we're going to find some ways that stuff is exploited. Like if the, if he, he, this guy took a header from like 10 stories and got busted up or bruised or a little bit sore, like that shows that the thing's not perfect. Like mm-hmm. how much power does it take to overwhelm it? Or maybe it's all about, you know, the sneaky. Uh, side of things yeah. I, I thought that stuff was great and they're setting it up real early in this scene
0: yeah for sure um, then we get a scene where Ambassador Thanwall Thon- sure tells uh, Empire that Proxima Opal has died and Empire proves her, her new successor and conveys her condolences to the encla- or conclave however there's some debate over who that next successor should be um, there's a radical A movement forming behind a radical, which obviously disturbs empire. And dammerzel tells the ambassador they'll be in touch soon. As uh, I think it's Lee Pace or Brother Dusk. Brother Dusk might storm off here.
1: I didn't take it because I was flying. I didn't get a chance to look at this. But is this Ambassador Thanwell, the hammer from House of Cards? (laughs) He looked Uh, very familiar. (laughs) Okay, he looked very he he looked very familiar, and I thought I, I thought I saw a little bit of a, uh, or no, not the maybe not the hammer the uh the the editor at the newspaper for oh House of he, it might be him I don't know yeah I I he he, he looked very familiar he looked yeah. very familiar from Prestige TV um but again I just want to on the looks and feel department I fucking love the way the Empire like speaks as one. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also really effective to show that this this little teenager kid that the the nineteen year old is completely out of sync, like you yeah. said, not just on the voice, like how impressive that would be for them to all say our condolences, and then them to like gesture all at the same to like you know get out of here to the right as like the inevitability of like you can't stick around, and and it, you feel the weight of this guy be like, well, actually, I do need to stick around, and then him dropping to his knees as soon as Empire was up. This shit just really tells the tale of uh, the power, but also the kind of seemingly beginning of the fragility of it. Like these commands are no longer inevitable. They are not uh, obeyed as like the law of gravity. They're a little bit more of a suggestion nowadays, just in even the decorum inside the palace. I thought that stuff was really good. And, And the
0: fragility inherent in its rigidity. I mean, like, mm. you know, if you are so inflexible that you can't adapt to a situation that comes up, such as, you know, what happened 35 years ago in the aftermath, um, then
1: you're you're bound to break, right? Well, and if the people don't like a ruler, you know, you could def- the dad can always step down and you could roll the dice with the son or, you know, but like this, you're never like, what the hell does it even mean for day to step down and turn it over to Don, like it's 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 interesting all these things that like harry Seldon essentially prophesied um yeah. come true and, and they make that point later in the episode i also sure. love lee pace lee pace is doing a lot in this episode yeah uh, he gets an eye twitch going when they start talking about the luminance and the zephyr halima mm-hmm. that's like pre- preaching uh what is this doctrine of the primary octavo uh, octavo. yeah uh, i think is the the doctrine that says that uh Singular beings get singular souls and essentially implying that clones are uh, lack souls and are, I guess, individuated sentience is how they're going to describe it. Next scene. E- yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Um,
1: and that's super like interesting
0: that. to talk about. I, I'm, I'm, I love this next scene. It's, it's so good. Uh, it, let's just talk about it. We, we go dusk, yeah. um, is personally going to go to the conclave to smooth things over. Uh, because this primary octavo um, belief system is is causing a schism in the church, and it also potentially undermines their authority as the emperor because the doctrine essentially says that clones don't have souls mm-hmm. uh, and then brother day has to explain and kind of school Don and why this is a problem but it, like as i'm watching this scene i'm i'm hearing the doctrine i'm going okay that's definitely going to be a problem for a, 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 the power base of a clone dynasty right oh clones sure. don't have souls oh you're actually like an abomination and no one the three trillion of the people in your empire no longer support you big problem and then he goes on to have to explain that to don i found it almost funny in a way
1: yeah and and how like and that's the thing is like maybe day is not impatient maybe dawn is just slow and is like not getting this stuff because you know he's 19 years old he should be able to see i think without being handheld but like on the other hand he's kind of being handheld for the audience's benefit right sure Sure. So, but, but I like that when she's like, oh, that, that means they, they won't see us as human and brother days. Like, that's not the problem. Mm-hmm. The problem is that they start seeing us as, as less than, instead of more than, because, yeah. you know, if we're more than them, then, you yeah, know, well, Hey, you know, let, let the blue bloods do everything. We're just commoners. What can we do? But if they start seeing, I mean, this is Game of Thrones, right? This is like uh, why Tywin. Taiwan. You know, like uh, every time Cersei and Jaime would get like uh, lippy about, or you know, defiant about being open with their, he's like, "Look, you have to have the respect and legitimacy of the people, and if you don't, because they think your sons are the sons of in- incest and inbreeding and all that, then our house is fucked." And I think Brother Day is trying to teach that same lesson to the the slow brother, Brother Dawn.
0: Yeah, and we get more on. You know how Brother Dave feels about this later in the episode, right? Because he's going to point the finger eventually at Brother Dusk and his a hardline attitude toward everything, but also his seemingly laissez-faire attitude about very real problems developing within the Empire and and what should be pretty obvious fallout. I mean, yes, it, it, well, there's an era issue here right there's an era where the empire was all powerful before harry selden's predictions which i think you know brother dusk is is well within that era and then there's the era after where the empire showing cracks and i think that's why you know these two people have such different worldviews is because one was you know grew up in an empire that was all powerful and couldn't be touched and it ruled by might and then the other grew up in an era where that was potentially on the table for discussion right
1: yeah and i i even liked how they kind of held our hand to talk about like you know because because like well the empire is so powerful they've been black holes why is this so important this is a faith that has sway over three trillion people that's Mm -hmm. like what two-fifths apparent uh, or thereabouts of the galactic population of eight trillion um, which I, I remember thinking that was kind of low when they talked about it. But like it does give you it, it's almost a one to one map of the globe. You know, if, if you found that like a, a religion encompassing three billion people was up in arms about something, that's a that's an absolute threat to the geopolitical stability of planet Earth. So when you have eight trillion people and three of them are going you know, mad over some some doctrinal schism, that's that's uh yeah. that, that's that's gotta be a worrisome thing. And like you can see the concern because like Dusk instantly just gets up and starts like I'm going out for a diplomatic mission. We can't hollow transmission this shit. It's it's too important. Uh I I like that touch too. Yeah. I, I liken
0: it to the the way I'm thinking about it is sort of like if you were if if you had a a virus that was eating you from the inside out mm-hmm. and it, it was eating let's say 40% roughly 30 40% of your body well <laughs> y- y- you know it's like a zombie virus right like oh you got a leg bite and it's infecting you we'll cut off the leg right and that's going to be painful but it'll preserve yeah. your life well what happens if you get the the shoulder bite the torso bite right the the thing right. that you can't root out without killing you um and that's what this is like. If, if these are vital parts of the empire that are starting to believe these things, uh, that you are less than as opposed to more than, you're not going to be able to cut those things out. It, it has the potential right. to destroy the empire. And that's what they're so worried about here. It's, it's not something where they
1: can just go blow up the outer reaches, right? Right. And that's, that's because, yeah, the outer re- that's like uh, the, the barbarian, quote unquote, kingdoms uh, is like the amputation of a foot exactly you know, yeah but but now they've got like lymphomic cancer because mm-hmm. uh, it implies that these things are much more close to core world huge much huger in scale um it, it's going to be a real problem for them yeah uh, and I, that quote about like we are a glass vessel spun with a fine hand if our pressures inside aren't uniform we may burst well boy the pressures are not uniform within this trinity doesn't and seem like it at all. No, it's demonstrated so well too with the wine glass itself. Because Brother
0: Don, when he reaches for his wine glass, he picks it up with the wrong hand. Like the others mm. who are reaching for it with the right hands, he reaches for it with his left, notices yeah. it, and swaps hands. And then they make the wine glass analogy, and I'm like, yes, okay, mm-hmm. yeah. They're you're not pulling in
1: the same direction, same pressure. No, it's it's going to be bad. Yeah. uh So then we go
0: to Terminus, and we're back with Salvor, still surrounded by Anacreon's. Uh, they demand that she take them through the fence to the tower. So they all approach the fence. Salvor claims she can only get one of them through. And they tell her come back soon with our leader or we'll destroy the city. Once through the fence, they hop in her speeder and head toward town. Salvor uh, there's a the brief detour where she sees this boy again and almost crashes. Mm. Um, and then takes a shortcut toward the vault, which obviously knocks out the Anacreon. Uh, and then she takes the Anachron's gun and drives back into town with her new prisoner. Pretty good.
1: Clever, yeah. yeah. Like it. Uh, like like she says, I you're. I'm the worst person you could have picked up in this whole damn settlement because I've got to get out of uh, mm-hmm. uh, held hostage. A uh, free card. Uh, and it uh, it absolutely works. You, they they so the Anachron's claim that they're here to scavenge a navigational system so that they can continue fleeing the devastation that the empire wrought in the pilot episodes. Um, to be honest, I don't see any reason to not believe this is true. Other than Salvor's
0: intuition or whatever ability she had, because she says there's something bigger here that she's missing.
1: And I believe that. But they, she also says that like, she herself wants to die and wants everyone to die. I, I, I don't know I could be way off here, but I had this inkling, I idea that the, the tension that she doesn't get is that, she, that this woman personally has lost too much. And she does want to die, but she's trying to get her people to safety. It's kind of like Frodo, you know, like could Frodo, be? like he didn't save the Shire for himself. He was too far gone, mm-hmm. uh, but he did save it for the people he loved. I, I wonder if that's the contradiction that uh, that's being picked up here. Um yeah. it's just the thing I was I was wondering about. I'm kind of hoping there's another layer to it. Like
0: I said at the beginning, this is the least interesting part of the episode for me. It's not bad, it's just it's not mm. engaging me uh nearly as much as the empire It's stuff. Not Lee Pei screaming people to death. It is not, it's <laughs> not that. So if they could do something to add another wrinkle to what's happening over on terminus uh-huh. and, and i know they will having read the first book i know there's stuff coming that is going to blow this whole thing wide open so i'm waiting for that stuff to happen um and just hoping it will stay you know as as high quality as it's been in the meantime yeah uh, th- we do get a lot more information about the the shield and the way it works the defense the as they call it um it's mm-hmm. dna recognition that only lets certain people through one if they're in the database and it uses some kind of radiation to i guess murder you if you try and walk through it mhm is how they describe it and i don't know if any of this is going to
1: be important but that's how it works uh, i do wonder um what do you think about this boy i mean it's it's very do we even need to talk about this like it's a like it's a it's a theory because it seems clear especially when we see this boy doing the thing that Rache said that he did when he first met, you know, Harry Selden. Mm-hmm. Like, it seems very clear that uh, they're drawing a connection between her and Rache. And, you know, we talked about this yeah. in I think the feedback section or maybe we've talked about in the main the feed, uh, uh, main show proper. Seems like there's a lot of legs to... Uh, the idea that Salvor is uh, the, the the child of Raish and uh, probably the um, uh, Gale, right? Yeah, you could definitely be right about
0: that. It makes me wonder if we're going to see something more concrete. Like if they showed me a scene of, of 35 years ago when they landed on Terminus and Raish goes up to the vault and is unaffected, you know, much like uh, Salvor, I-, I think that would do a lot to connect it. But in the meantime, yeah, I think that's a pretty good guess
1: because they also had, uh, you know, they they also very much imply that like Salver might be intended by Harry to be like a vital thing, a vital cog in his machine. But psycho history doesn't work with individuals. So mm-hmm. like even if he like, you know, at, at his statistical math board, his calculus board saw that, oh, if I put race together with Gale and she's very intuitive and he. Like, the, I'm going to get that, like, it's still, like, I don't feel like psychohistory would work that way. So, I wonder if there's, are there components of psychohistory that have to work because, like, people have faith in it? Or, I, I'm wondering how they'll square, like, this singular special individual that seems like it was maneuvered by Selden with the idea that psychohistory is kind of useless in in predicting and steering the individual fates of people.
0: Yeah, there's a connection uh the math stuff is interesting, right? The the stuff they're doing in this coin flipping scene later on is in some way tying Salvor to psycho history, the prime radiant, right? It's she had some inherent interest in the prime radiant when she encountered it briefly, though she didn't really know how to interpret it, much like I don't think she knows how to interpret her uh affinity with the vault either. So Yeah, there's something they're doing there that's that's bigger than just like she's she's gotten some some lucky power. I I don't think this is a case of like an individual just happening to develop something. I think they're doing more than that.
1: Yeah, and it could be wrong, like like uh, Mm -hmm. her parents' speculation and people just general speculation about her being. it, It could just this could all just be misdirection. But I don't know, it, it feels like especially the more I thought about that feedback we got about how it seemed like Gail had certainly intuitive pro- like she was trained to be a seer. Now we don't know if seers are the real fucking deal or if they're just kind of this like the, the uh, you know, uh, millennia in the future like astrology or if this is like <laughs> right. some real kind of like children of the forest shit from Game of Thrones. We, we I'm not sure how real this magic is. But, like she was from that line, and she was trained as that, and mm-hmm. you know she, she's having zygo babies in space boom you there that's all you need to to make a magic space baby Apparently, yeah. i that that seems seems like a lot of legs for that theory anyway mm. Mm-hmm. All
0: right, we go to Don, or sorry, no, back at, back at town, uh, Salvor and her parents debate what to do about the Nacreons. Her father tells her that the people made her warden, so she should decide to do, uh, which, yeah, and this is the line, you know, repeated luck is more than just luck, which we'll come back later in the episode.
1: Uh, Peter's, uh, does a really good job at selling, um, all of this stuff, he brings a gravitas and they, they talked about it in the official podcast, like it's really hard to give a speech. It's kind of like, you're the hero of the show and you're the hero of the show because you've got this heroic quality and not make it seem kind of hackneyed and, mm-hmm. you know, uh a little corny and you, you, you do the best job you can writing it, but then you give it an actor that can, you know, effortlessly give it that, uh, that bottom. Uh <laughs> And uh, that's what you got. Yeah, sure. Then we uh, like the violence is the last ret- refuge of the incompetent. She's like, that's an old man's philosophies. Like I I'm it's an observation I made when I was younger than you. Like yeah, uh I, I the show the show is showing a lot, cause like do you think that they're using uh her dad as kind of like the baseline? Like like uh her mom might be too far in a pendulum one way and she might be too far the other, but her like, you know, like like that she is a little bit um brash maybe and ill considered, saying that like vi- mm-hmm. you know, like like abhorring violence is an old man's thing. And he's like, no, 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 no. I came to this sh- this realization young. I-, I think they are trying to show that she is not like this is not a Mary Sue character. She can definitely fuck up, make mistakes, um, have bad have poor judgment, but still be the yeah. the voice that the the colony needs to listen to. Yeah, they're doing a good job with her um
0: you know, indecisiveness, um, her lack of faith in herself, I think, uh, you know, when Hugo has to kind of talk her down later this episode where she's like, what if Lewis is right? What if I am fucking up the plan? What if everything I do is a mistake? And he says, well, what if, what if Selden what if you are Selden's plan, you know, Uh, then she's not considering the other side of it. She's too close to it to really step back and and judge it objectively. So, yeah. I
1: also thought it was weird because like they uh, maybe warden. I, I don't quite understand the title of warden. I don't know. Because protect it seemed her. like it was town, town cop. Right. I was thinking yeah. like, you know, in terms of a like, game warden, like she was there to protect the frontier, you know, the town from the frontier and vice versa. Mm-hmm. But maybe it's also one of those things where it's like uh, the president where in like times of war. There's a there's a, a, a switch gets flipped and like the warden is ultimate authority because it is, it's hard for me to uh, square everything we know about to harden the fact that she's a pariah that kind of creeps people out, even though they don't know her primary kind of creepy power mm-hmm. that like they made her, they invested in it. Like it's one thing if there, she's like essentially the ranger, like Aragorn was in Lord of the Rings, but it, it didn't quite, uh, I didn't quite track that the people would invest. Maybe they thought that there's almost no chance of them being attacked so that yeah. those war powers would never invest in her. I think that's it. Um, hmm. Yeah, she she is in her element here, you know. And and no one ever expected to need her element. So, or maybe she doesn't have the and, and her father. She doesn't really have these emergency powers, and her father's just encouraging her to take them because yeah, it could be. And we see like who else you is know, going to
0: right, and they don't know what to do what, about this.
1: Yeah, what is, is who's the guy, Lewis? Yeah, uh, pirate is the is the. Uh, you know foundation council person like yeah he doesn't have what it takes for sure.
0: <laughs> no. no he doesn't uh i can't imagine a guy who looks more like a lewis so good job in casting <laughs> all right before we move on to the next scene let's take a quick break all right next scene is brother don sitting and sketching uh the attendant that he saw earlier he asks shadow master obrecht to get him the name of the palace attendant who saw him jump. Uh Shadowmaster.: My biggest question after watching this episode the first time, I, I may have figured it out the second time, but it's sketchy, no pun intended. Mm. How does Obrecht have anywhere near enough information at the end of this scene to go on? I, I get that he's supposed to be you know, a uh, varus type master spy who yeah. can d- almost divinate what the emperor wants and needs in any moment but like th- there, there is no information he simply says an attendant now now he's got this sketch and i think it, you know Obra comments on some maybe he's assuming that the sketch he's drawing is well, the person okay. he's
1: supposed to go get information on because my first observation is I want to push back. Are we sure he's sketching that attendant? Because I paused and then went and, and compared the sketch. It doesn't look anything
0: like her. I think he's sketching it, their their love child. Like, <laughs> if it was a cross, it, it doesn't look that one. like
1: it looks like a, a brother dawn was slightly better here yes um yes and i and like it could just be a self-portrait because i feel like that's uh like uh that they might be painting a narcissist tale here you know like but uh, but then the question becomes
0: how the hell does he know who dawn is talking
1: about if they mentioned like the the shift and like the location then i think that the shadow master could but they don't you're right they don't um, I don't know. I guess you're like he would like get follow up questions or he would, I, but he just I, walks I off. Um, I wonder, though, do you think that the like Goyer and the, the showrunners like thank their 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 lucky stars every day that Game of Thrones preceded them because they can just say shit like Shadow Master Obrick. Sure. Kind of like, oh, yeah. right. That's a various type. That's Uh exactly what you think. Like, (laughs) oh, this is the, like, because he said he corrected him. He's like, oh, you're like the Grand Marshal. He's like, I'm the Shadow Master over Mm -hmm. it. Like, oh, the Master of Shadows, eh? Kind of like the the Master of uh, Whispers. Okay, I can translate that. Yeah. It must be nice that a fantasy show came before to kind of like get people's appetite for this much kind of politicking and scheming and things, Mm -hmm. you know? Like, 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 really busted that into the the genre, because uh, clearly there's a lot of uh, I- influence on that, and you know that's the thing. Martin was influenced by Dune, Foundation, all this other stuff. So it's it's a nice oh, cross pollination. Yeah. But and, and I don't know how much of this
0: is. I assume like none of this is in the books, or if it is, it's in pre- prelude stuff. Because yeah. this is the Empire is not the Empire is a non entity in that first book. Exactly. Um, yeah. So I, I'm way out of my depth, like speculating on what is and isn't in the books at this point. But if whether it is I, or not,
1: yeah, the, the the lineage of this stuff for sure helps. One hundred percent. I assume that anything involving the brothers is a uh, is an expansion of material from the novels. It's or an ed- outright addition. Yeah, yeah.
0: Uh So then Salvor back on Terminus hands out weapons and gives people directions on where to post up, tells them not to engage. The Anachron's just to report. And then she takes Hugo to interrogate Uh, the Anachron. We find out her name is Farah uh, somewhere along the route here. She picks up on her tragic backstory thanks to her scars and ends the interrogation with uh, Farah shouting at them. Outside, she tells her mother and Hugo that she recognized the name that she was shouting, which was Larkin K'ayne. is is the... (laughs) The subtitle says, I am just going to say Cain. She connects it to the dispute.
1: What's that? I love their chicken basket. Yes. Larkin Uh, Cain's. Yeah, it's so good. Honey mustard. Sure.
0: Uh, She connects it to this dispute that caused the destruction of Anacreon and Thespis in the first place 35 years ago that we saw in the first few episodes uh, and then figures out that Farah is the Grand Huntress of Anacreon. Sounds important.
1: Uh, yeah, kind of like the Master of Shadows. Uh, it seems like she's the well. I mean, they identify her. The Grand Huntress is the supreme military commander of this uh, Anacrian faction. Yeah. So, um, and she's really important because she's got this sacred bow. Also, like we remember, the Empire gave those gifts back in a in a in a t- tiff. So, like all like it it's it it does feel like I, the lines aren't quite connected yet because the story is still, but like it does feel like they're doing this kind of like butterfly flaps, mm-hmm. and you know, look, you got this hurricane in the the barbarian kingdoms uh i I quite enjoyed that, yeah, <laughs> that's a pretty big butterfly that flapped, right, the destruction of
0: fifty percent of the population and subsequent twenty to thirty percent, yeah, big right. big wings right. on that
1: butterfly, right. Uh, crowns and cats did you did you hear on the official uh, podcast like what these were denominations Uh, I I was not paying super close attention because I was also okay refining my notes
0: so the
1: the crowns are supposed to represent because you got the one like uh, one uh, figure that's kind of like shrouded in a robe and then you've got two circles beside them and that's supposed to represent the triune figurehead of the, the the empire sure and the oxide Cats, I guess it's supposed to represent a bishop claw. And they even said on the official podcast, it's like, doesn't really make sense because this is an obscure outer rim animal that like hardly anyone has ever heard of. But mm-hmm. like, they just kind of went with it because it was a very recognizable under production. And who knows? Maybe they, this is something they minted out at, at Trantor, or I'm sorry, Terminus, uh, for, for Terminus currency. I, I, I was wondering, yeah, is this an imperial, like, a wide currency? I think you're supposed or- to. Yeah, I think you're supposed to, I think, I think it is. And they just, they just did a rule of cool to make it a Bishop's Claw or, but, but like, a, okay. I don't know. It's like, it's a cat who the fuck knows if it's a Bishop's a Bishop's Claw or not. That's just something uh, David was saying on the podcast. <laughs> well, I mean, they, they probably put a whole bunch of different things on the back, right? Yeah. You've got the emperor on the front, but on the That's back, true. you can put whatever, like a stamp, you know? they've the 50 billion different uh states in the empire they all get every year their own core it takes yeah. it to, they're yeah they they've hardly made it through a 0. 0.001% of the the coinage but they're going to get there they're going to get there <laughs> that's how ambitious the empire is i think they're going to be around that long yeah
0: if, if, I assume they have like basketball players in the empire they and they, they get do. their commemorative yeah. coins
1: every once in a while sure sure you got uh, the you got that you got the, the Mount Rushmore mm-hmm. of the three I guess all the Mount Rushmores would just be the same three phases right
0: yeah, probably
1: yeah the same <laughs> one phase so judging, you, you, judging by the uh, yeah you could just do that you could do just do that yeah. yeah Mount Pacemore is what it would right. be called <laughs>
0: Uh, there's some interesting stuff technologically, may, maybe with ramifications for the future that they're doing here because Hugo, when he's talking to her in uh, Anacreon, whatever their language is, uh, mm. he also reveals to her by way of pressing on his temple, like massaging his temple a little bit which flashes yeah. his bright blue thespian eyes.
1: Yeah, And she, she we, picks up
0: on that. Is this We did. We speculated, right, a couple episodes ago about is is this guy like hiding the nature of his eyes? What is he using some technology to do that? Is this surgically altering them? What happened here? I think what we understand in this episode is it is a technology and that it's sort of it's, it's not that stable. Like if you get hit in the wrong spot on your head or if you press just right in this one location, I don't think that's a feature. I think that's a bug and he knows about the bug and he's using it
1: to show. I thought it was some kind of like some kind of pressure. Like you do a certain swirl pattern and it it like turns it off or it could be a disrupting because like, I I suppose the combat, it it seems explicitly designed so that he can trade amongst everyone in the outer planets without any prejudice, you know, like, like dragging him down, but then maybe get some,
0: some sweet deals on Thespis. If he turns right. it off. For yeah, a second. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: When he comes back home, he can turn on the baby blues, but it's funny. It's, uh, it's, it's funny. Cause I, you know, I I mentioned that like last episode, like what the fuck, what is up with the eyes? Or they just, because right. they don't want to hung. No, they, it's it had a nice, uh, nice satisfying answer. Yeah.
0: Uh, and I can't help, but think it's going to come into play in the future. If, if it's that easy to flip these things on and off. Um, yeah, I expect something more from that.
1: This, uh, intuition she has is pretty powerful though. Like yeah. not only is it help her like see like uh it looks like there's like a precog, but also uh and they, they mentioned on a podcast that this was kind of like you're supposed to understand that this is like a focus and a totem, you know, like this is uh the the coin power is kind of like the thing she does to kind of like get her powers in sync, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like a a, a warm up or uh, the way like uh maybe a basketball player if we're, if we're talking about basketball players has like you know the ritual where they like fake. You're at the free throw line, you know, you bounce three times. You you pretend to shoot. You wipe your hands and your th- yeah. You, you kind of have a ritual and, and like this or like uh, Gale cats- repeating prime numbers, right? Yeah. Oh my God, that's sh- that's this this focusing exercise that they both have um, yeah, is interesting. There's another connection between the two. Um, well, well, well done. Um, and I think there's a connection here
0: with the the prime radiant too, right? It's it's the mathematics that intuitive sort of. Feel for mathematics um, statistics and and that's really what the prime Radiant contains right is a bunch of statistics about how the universe is likely to work in any given scenario
1: yeah I still hope they don't she doesn't just intuit how to twist the cycle history cube but like yeah, yeah there's yeah. definitely yeah. Um, yeah you think there's I, like some
0: second phase of her power that's going to unlock with the vault if she can I,
1: figure out how to communicate with it. That's a good question. I don't I don't know because uh again, I didn't remember any psychic stuff in the first book. No. So, I f- I feel like that they are laying some track. I don't know exactly where it's going. Um but like yeah, this is this is full on like not just precognition but being able to almost read a person's mind. Um Yeah. yeah I wonder tons of questions about that and how they're going to kind of like balance that and explain how again because this is a singular person within and again it's not like oh the 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 way that her uh the people around her treat this isn't like oh yeah you're one of those people's got the ESP shit or you're one of the ones got the psycher gene it's like you're special we've never seen shit like this before mm-hmm. um in a in a world that's got seers and everything right so like, yeah. I, I, I need a couple more episodes before I, I feel like I'm, I'm comfortable putting this these pieces together. But like, it seems like they are hinting that she's got a real power. And how do you balance that with the rest of the story? I'm, I'm, it's going to be fascinating.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. Then we go to Don and Dusk watching riots on Trantor, which are caused by the fall of the Starbridge. Uh, Dusk tells Don that he'll need to work on this problem with Brother Day, which is intimidating to him. Uh, I get the feeling that they don't he's a little scared of brother day Uh, day enters and then tells them that the terminus or yeah the terminus comms buoy is offline and he shows them all these predictions made by Harry Selden of exactly the things that are happening now Uh, and then day takes dusk to task for not dealing with the fallout from Selden's trial
1: and his death it looks like brother day the former brother Don is scared that uh harry's predictions are in fact true and that uh brother day could have taken those i guess brother dust not could have taken those seriously instead of dismissing them he mm-hmm. said like uh he all but gave you a to-do list yeah and you did you ignored it and you know the also well that's because he's a charlatan well i don't think brother day is so sure about that and he has that great line about martyrs tend to have a long half-life which is ironic, right? Because you cut a person's life in short, you know half-life, yeah. but also half-life from a radioactive <laughs> decay stand you know, those things can you know, hang around for thousands of years. Interesting. Yeah, just look at Jesus. Uh, <laughs> sure, half-life on that uh, <laughs> Christanium is just really long. Over 2,000 two sure. years and go, going strong. Uh, They're doing a lot of good stuff here
0: with with brother day's characterization and you mentioned how they're doing stuff to really t- distinctly draw lines between characters even as they age and i think one of those things that they're doing is having brother dusk, you know the former brother day um who was in charge when the, the anacreon uh stuff happened and and harry seldon trial happened he's talking about how the sinkers are the problem here right like they're the ones causing the violence he says he's putting the blame on the people themselves rather than himself. Um, which eventually we know brother day is going to point the finger back at him, uh, by the end of this episode, but it very much shows like who this guy is. Hmm. Uh, and another interesting thing they're doing in this scene that I really loved. It's, it's the, the twist of mathematics here because there's this discussion when, when day enters, he says, comms buoy is down. Brother Don is like, and that probably happens all the time, right? We've got what a, a thousand of these things, and day is like right ten ten thousand. We have we have so many of these fucking things. One of these going down is totally inevitable on any given day. But then he says which one it is, and that totally reverses the math, right? It's right. It, it's this twist of like the odds of that specific one being the one to go down are so minimally, uh, so so infinitesimal that. Now you have to take it as like more meaningful, right? It there's a just a beautiful moment of twist there that I loved.
1: Yeah, because like again, maybe it is a coincidence, but you got to at least check it out. Because For sure. like, what are the odds that this would happen while these other things are happening, while this you know, like the bad news comes in threes? Like there's, you know, you had your local unrest, then you had the religious schism, then you've got this uh, buoy buoy going out. Fuck, mm-hmm. yeah. It, uh, it's it, significant you'd be a fool. Now, You'd be a fool not to at least investigate it, sure. Right.
0: And then we go to Lewis Pyrene disagreeing with every decision Salvor has made, uh, both with the Anacreons and seemingly her entire life. And he claims that she is destroying Seldon's predictions by merely existing. Uh, she tells him, look, you idiot, you've ignored everything I've ever said about preparing for this exact situation of an attack. Uh, so I don't want to hear your bullshit. And then she, uh, Lewis takes the lead on this second phase of interrogation, which doesn't get them anywhere. Um, as Salvor is off, you know, trying to protect the colony here. Um, and then seemingly dozens—I don't know, hundreds, maybe—of Anacreons are advancing on the
1: fence, while the lookouts are just freaking out about it from all from all directions. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was a good, like, uh, I don't like Lewis. He seems like he's a, he's a, he's a, a doofus. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I vaguely remember there being a plot about the council of the foundation being kind of inept and overly, I don't know, like, uh, analysis paralysis or maybe like overly re- reliant on Seldon you know making sure that everything's going to be fine and is is that is that cuz like i i feel like that this is stuff that is definitely trying to hearken to that material
0: uh yeah from what i recall having read it a few short months ago um the council is largely inept or sort of out of touch with any of this vault stuff um they're kind of, they're of kind of just waiting me, around yeah. like they know about what the vault is they're waiting mm. around um there, but but they are kind of inept the the main characters here are still the same i I think i, I can't remember if Lewis is like one of the big antagonists in the council, mm. um but there is an antagonist and hardens kind of yeah the the person
1: with their their sort of finger on the pulse of everything there's also that interesting thing where he's like, you know this is what I talked about in the beginning of the episode about the uh, the same science protects the empire protects us well th- you know how good is that weapon and also as Farah said the weapon's only as good as the man who wields it um, I don't know it also is like it, it seems like this is setting up for like you know uh, I am no man kind of moment because it's not you know it's, it's, it's the warden that's going to be marshalling the town's defenses uh, sure you know you see, I wonder in
0: the books and it's a product of the time when Asimov was writing these books uh, these, these early ones, nuclear power is like the, the biggest sure. force um, that, that, that he, that his imagination could muster at the time. And, right. and I wonder if this fence stuff with the radiation and, you know, the DNA matching is going to be sort of the, the nuclear engines or whatever that they talk about in the books, um, the nuclear power from from books in the series but it's yeah, it specifically like the way she talks about this being a weapon I mm. think is is interesting to me I don't know we'll, we'll have to see
1: I don't know where exactly they're going with this yeah because it seems like you're, I'm supposed to believe that this thing's impregnable but like I don't know maybe they can just literally do the Gungan shield thing or they just walk up to it and slowly shoulder through it and uh, but, but yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see what is the fatal flaw in the system, or maybe it's not like, cause there's a whole lot of things that says that like, maybe things are going to work out. The empire is going to check it out. They're going to find out the Nacreons are here. They're going to pull Verizon. The shield's going to hold, you know, there, there might be some scary things here and there, but like, y- yeah, so I I don't know. I don't know how much to worry about it. And I do wonder how closely this fence and the personal shields of the
0: emperor are related. Are are they identical technologies? Is this something Boy. where the emperor could code his personal shield for the DNA match of somebody else to let them through? And maybe he does that from time to time or or are these two distinct technologies, one of which, you know, can be muscled through very slowly and the other of which is. DNA coded
1: and will murder you like it's it's not just going to stop you from from doing bad things it's going to kill you yeah yeah yeah. it it looks like it's very similar like it has the same kind of yellow sparkle effect Um, I I think I think it it looks very very similar I'm sure it's can be coded the same like I think that uh, the 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 empires can probably all touch each other it's probably coded their DNA right Um, Uh, Likely, yeah. yeah yeah
0: that would make sense all right, we um return to Brother Don, and so does Obrecht, uh, with the name of the palace attendant, Azura Odely. Don asks him how to resolve this, and obrecht replies, eh, I can do it anyway, you know I'm a problem solver, which it, it coming out of this guy's mouth is pretty ominous to me, yeah, yeah, but I don't yeah. think Don really takes it that way, even though he has the power to choose who lives
1: or dies i." I feel like he got the message. I don't think he's that stupid. I, I feel like he definitely got the message that this is what he. Okay. Yeah. The, the, yeah he you, you're probably right. Go away permanently.
0: Yeah. Based on uh, another scene later on. So anyway, Don goes to see Azura and threatens to punish her. She gives him medicine for his ouchies. He's acting very much like a child here. I don't know. He takes the medicine mm-hmm. to another attendant to verify its effects before just gobbling it up, which is smart. I mean good on him. The, the paranoia that these emperors must feel at any given moment is just off the charts. Yeah, has to. Has to. Yeah. And and this is this is interesting too. Um in the context of what we see with the personal shields, they can't be touched but they can be tricked. You know, they're not superhuman when it comes to their mental abilities, I don't think. Uh, everything about the show has told me that already so yeah yeah if you can't beat someone physically you can certainly manipulate them or trick them into causing their own demise
1: and you can also that 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 power is not inborn into them like we saw them take it off i think that's going to be something that we got to remember the fact that they can deactivate turn this off and if someone Bluffs or convinces them that they're trustworthy, or works their way like they're they're that that might. I, I wonder actually if is no. There's no way this she could be like a long term sleeper agent, right? Because like, how would they know that the emperor was going to jump out of his bedroom window right in front of her?
0: Yeah, yeah. Can't have the this kind of, of like an individual, hold over him. Certainly.
1: Yeah. Um. I don't know. There might be some kind of like. Is there like? Uh, uh, a synergy between the seers, maybe the seers can predict the the uh, the hmm. actions of individual, and psychohistory can, vice versa, maybe. Yeah, I didn't see any face scars on this attendant. So. Right, <laughs> because you'd have to have the anacreons working together with the uh, I forget the people that the Gale came from, but that could be because they were also backwater. So maybe you're having a like a backwater quote unquote barbarian, uh, brotherhood, mm. the, the triple B, the better. the better backwater brotherhood (laughs) sure i don't know man better barbarian business bureau yeah
0: we'll have to see where that goes um they mentioned ikebana which i get i looked it up as a japanese art of flower arrangement so Mm. the school that her mother started was devoted to that so their whole family is botanist or at least interested in plants ate up with plants uh, and then Salvor is alerted to the approaching Anacreons, and her family and Hugo all spring into action. She sees a vision of the boy in the Imperial Library, which freaks her out. She thinks this vision is the vault communicating with her. And Hugo is there to calm her with his absolute faith in her. Boy, does that seem ominous to you? When I, when I hear someone repeat the phrase, I have absolute faith in you. In the way that he repeated it in an episode that is devoted to faith um,
1: in all regards, I, I get a little bit of a twinge of ominous. Because uh, I was I was about to be like, come on, the fuck are you talking about? This is just like you know being validated by a cool, awesome person you respect sure. is a good thing. It is but that. But you're right. There is a lot of this talk about faith, and it's
0: the term, the the way he says it, and the terms he uses that make me think. Yeah.
1: And just because people are That's impressive dangerous. does not mean they will prevail. There is nothing written in this universe that says that the race goes to the swift and the contest to the mighty, you know, like there is nothing like there's, 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 yeah. there's, a, there's a lot of luck that goes into things too. So yeah, maybe they are trying to suggest uh, something like that. I don't know. Or this could be the other side of the coin, right? Um,
0: th- this could be where the faith is warranted, where the faith is, uh, a positive where the faith is not threatening it's uplifting i that could also be what they're doing here right uh th- the other thing that i noticed in this scene is when they're they're coming out of the uh, Salvors rushing out with their weapons and there's some guy muller out there in the yard and he's like haranguing her about like hey you got an acreon warrior in there we want to talk with her Mm. there's like an element of schism within this group or maybe not schism it's it's more just like differing value sets or differing faith levels i guess within the people of terminus
1: I think it's fair to say that the vest, the the finely spun vessel of terminus is not all has all of its uh, fluids in perfect pressure. Sure, uh, equalization. I think that's it's that's a fair fair observation to make for sure. And
0: I like that they can show that in just passing here, right? Like she, of course, in this moment, you don't want to tell this guy, hell yeah, we got an Anacreon in there, and you know the Anacreons are are coming to kill us all too, so yeah do your worst it's it's your last day on earth go crazy man you don't want any of that energy but you also Mm. i think can trust that all these people who are here are at the very least somewhat bought into harry Selden's teachings right and that they would kind of welcome a a crisis if this were the beginning of one
1: and that's that's man that can be a problem too though right you know like people who are like you know i i think that uh I don't know how big of a problem it is, but it is a problem that we have certain people in like evangelical circles that have a vested interest in shit going down in the Middle East. Like, you know, yeah. like that can be a bad thing. Like, man, you know, uh, nothing in the Bible says you should like help or hinder that 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 uh, cosmic time clock. So, like, I, it it could be that people who are true believers and uh, adherence to the cause might take rash action, which that individual things the psychohistory can't uh, uh t- can't uh, account for might throw off the whole calculation so yeah it's it's fun though because like this there's a real tension because no one really knows what the fuck no one knows anything because like the two people that knew it uh took off early on in the mission uh-huh so there especially is with like this a-
0: small group right if you if your calculations
1: are all based on masses how can you account for what's going to happen in Terminus when it's getting started? Because it's so small of a group. Yeah. We talked about like, yeah. And they like, is Terminus enough of a mass of people that their, their psychohistory stuff will work on. Yeah. We'll, we'll find out. We'll find out. I'm sure. Cause I remember there being a lot of these questions in my mind about like when we're going through these, like in the books too. And like, I felt like mm-hmm. that they had answers for all that stuff. So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure everything's going to turn out. Satisfying. Maybe not fine for everyone at Terminus, but satisfying. Uh I I think things are gonna
0: kick up a notch here pretty soon on Terminus.
1: I I think so. Yeah. I think I think we're gonna have some noticeable uptick in action, yeah. And answers, get some answers. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh all right, so Brother Day has his theoretical mathematicians brought in, led by Tavoli, uh, Mm. to give him a progress report on their analysis of Harry Seldon's predictions. Tavoli says his predictions are all bullshit, but he can't claim that there's a zero chance that they're true. Uh, and when confronted with Day's anger, Tavoli collapses and there is a non-zero
1: chance that he is dead. This I, scene I wonder because when that first happened, I was like, because uh, I know in like the David Lynch Dune, there like Paul Atreides actually has the the, the ability to shout people to death. Uh, oh, okay. it's not in the book but in the movie version and uh, there's also like the Harkonnens have like these heart plugs on their servants that they can just pull to instantly kill them like uh, and <laughs> like we on saw a treadmill with... where you attach the thing to your to your shirt so if you fall on your face it doesn't kill you I,
0: it's, except the I, opposite yeah, I don't know
1: <laughs> it, it looks just like a little plug that they wear in their heart and you just pull it off and wow. it just, just bleed out yeah it's fucking right. crazy um, I wondered they were heading towards that but I think that like the imp- empire is just so scary when he's this mad at you. And this guy didn't look like he's that healthy that he just like had a heart mm-hmm. attack. He, he wasn't shouted to death, but he just had a heart attack. It's yeah, an incredible scene. Like I can imagine some people thinking this is too broad, too big, but mm-hmm. like Lee Pace is a huge dude, very intimidating. They use all of his size on display. He's just hulking over this guy. Yeah. bitch slapping his advisors. <laughs> There's a couple, like he slaps stuff out of there and then he, then he goes and just slaps one of them across the face. Just mm-hmm. and they can't and you know sending them scattering and 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 killing this guy for his with his intimidation. But again, it goes back to cats and crowns. Like how many different predictions can Harry Seldon make, seemingly contradictory, that are going to come true? And you just keep being like, ah, it's nothing. Ah, it's nothing. We got this. Yeah, uh, there's a line
0: right? um, in a scene coming up uh, with Brother Dawn and Day, or sorry, Day and Dusk. That really encapsulates my my feelings about this scene, and and ties a lot of what we've already seen from previous episodes in. So I think this scene is really good in that regard, but it's also just an element that we don't see much in this show, which is comedy. I I thought this scene was both terrifying because I wouldn't want to be that dude getting shouted mm. at by mm. a, a god emperor, but also. It, it's kind of hilarious in how broad and over the top it is, and then the outcome of it is absolutely hilarious. And, and Lee is like hamming it up a little bit, like he's he's going Broadway. Yeah, he's got this yeah, he's like Negan style from the from the Walking Dead. This Negan style performance, <laughs> where his his bobbing up and down is like leaning back a little yeah, bit, right, yeah, and yeah, like yeah, shouting yeah. into the sky
1: i don't yeah, know there's an yeah, element of what he, he does sort of like, like 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 his like his knee comes like like his knee involved he stamps the ground his knee like involuntary in like as he's winding up and he like throws his arms wide and he stamps his foot It it is very broad but i, I think it works because he is as oh, yeah. you said this kind of like mythical god emperor infallible figure and no one like from his birth no one has raised a hand against him or an opinion, and he is this kind of like Godzilla guy stomping through these people mm-hmm. uh, like i said I, guess I see some people think this is too broad, but i I thought it' was very entertaining it's exactly exactly what you want from this scene all right. then we go to Brother Don looking at a dragonfly
0: that is is probably and we'll find out by the end of the episode a robot that he constructed uh mm-hmm. dusk boards his ship but finds day waiting for him. And Day tells Dusk you're gonna to have to stay on Trantor because essentially he doesn't trust his judgment after everything he's seen. Right, the meeting with the statisticians. This and and Day is going to take his place on the mission, which is another thing that we need to talk about. So first of all, I want to talk about the line where he says the the results of the mathematicians are remarkably self reinforcing, mm-hmm. and this harkens back, I think, to the first it was the first episode where he's cutting up the Turkey and he, or whatever bird that was. And he says, essentially the peacock. Sure. The peacock. And he points out how, if your if your servants are too afraid to do their jobs correctly, you guarantee they will do them wrong. Right. And that is exactly, in my opinion, what has happened with the mathematicians. They cannot bring any answer back to former brother day. Now brother dusk. That is not, Harry Seldon is full of shit and if they were to bring that answer back they'd be killed and so you've essentially self-reinforced the idea that Harry Seldon is wrong I I think is exactly what's happening here yeah it's a nice connection between the episodes Uh, and then you get to day taking dusk's place on this mission which we get to see a little bit of the hierarchy in this episode Um, in this particular scene with the emperors themselves i we've kind of got the impression that yeah the day sort of takes the lead but there is a lot of let's say i mean there is structure to it but it's like a self-imposed kind of you know unwritten rules sort of structure and day seems to be breaking with those very impulsively which i think points out points it really gets a good dig in because you know day is going off about how Dusk has been so impulsive and rash and yeah. he's he's rending the entire empire apart. Yeah. And then she at the end says, "Well, I'm glad that, you know, there's certainly after he says I'm going on this mission, breaking with tradition, I'm glad that there will be, you know, this puts an end to rending the empire with uh brash actions." And, and this is where
1: so much so much of the narrative patience uh, pays off in the first episodes because we saw the brother day brother dusk pulls rank on brother day from the previous generation and says you know like like look this is not your responsibility. I forget exactly like he wanted to go visit to scar Mm -hmm. like this isn't your responsibility and he's like but it is my right yeah it's like I have the ability like I I, you might have the final say but I can go and put my eyes on it and give my advice and like what a whereas this brother day just fucking treats him like a naughty school child that stayed up too late for bed Like, Mm -hmm. get your shit, pack it up, and and get back to your bedchambers, and you clean up your mess that you made here before you... Like, this is a radically different way that the day is interfacing with the dusk. Yeah. Um,
0: and And it it feels like that's that sort of thrashing of the Empire tearing
1: itself apart from within. Yep, yep. This is not not a finely tuned vessel with any kind of pressures (laughs) and balance. Yeah. For sure.
0: Uh... Dusk sends a team to investigate the comms outage near Terminus and to remind the Foundation that they need to return to their regularly scheduled dispatches. Is this going to be a friendly dispatch, a friendly reminder, or is this going to be something worse?
1: I don't know. It just depends because they set this up too. like uh, if the Foundation is seen as viewing the anachronons, they could be under official Imperial censure. Um, but on the other hand, the Empire could ride in and, you know, ride in and save the day. Like, you know, we're here mining our business, doing our Foundation stuff under Imperial decree, and the Nacrion's came to go fucking uh, hold us up. But on the other hand, yeah. you could also see how, if the Foundation plays us right and gives them their damn navigation module, maybe they've got a friend out here that's on their borders. Because they- that's the thing, like, the the, the title Emperor, the, the Barbarians at the Gate, you think it's about terminus right but barbarians at the gate was literally about ancient rome being mm-hmm. taken down by the you know the, the the different germanic uh and 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 gaelic peoples the barbarians yeah. um and like i i wonder if there isn't uh like this is you're supposed to understand that the empire is a far more threat than terminus because the other thing is like they said that harry selden predicted or assured them that they would get through the first crisis no matter what so there's right, a right. little bit of pressure relieved in this situation or maybe it's pressure that's being applied to the Empire if you're paying attention because I think that's what you're supposed to understand like this isn't this isn't really uh, a scary this shouldn't be seen if you have faith in the psycho history as a scary thing for Terminus but it could be a scary thing for Trantor. Yeah for
0: sure. I, well, I was specifically when I asked about you know this being a friendly reminder talking about Terminus um, because they're the ones who have been missing their dispatches and there's a lot of anger in the room right now. There's both an imperial, anger on that level, but there's also a personal anger, I think in brother Dusk at this very moment, because this is essentially the second half of the scene where he was told off by brother day. Um, so he goes directly from that into telling his general to go out there and remind uh, Terminus about their duties Um, I'm a little worried that there's going to be some Imperial uh, anger inflicted or or played out on the Terminus people, not just on the Anacreons.
1: You could almost say the same thing if you want to take another step back that like uh, what Brother Day said about the servants and the peacock also applies to the brothers. That like if you make one of your brothers scared to do their job properly, then you're going to sure they're going to do it wrong. So like. Is he going to try to prove himself right and like you know, hey, mm-hmm. not only is the foundation not a threat to us, but look, they they were they were going to fight the Anacrians for our behalf, like they're like true blue for the Empire. Like what what critical thing will he miss in this thing, or what will he do to kind of like yeah. flatter his own view? I, that that could be a way they're going with it because like you know, like, I I think you can brother this brother day is. Seems to be dismissive and intimidating for both of his co-equals, uh, supposed a co-equals. And yeah. that can't be good. And,
0: and, right? In an empire that where the emperors are the empire, and they keep referring yeah. to them as that, that's a that's a death blow. If the empire, yeah. being these three emperors, don't
1: trust each other. I agree. I agree. And it seems like it's something that's like, if you're not getting genetic drift, you're getting some kind of... I don't know what you would call it. uh, Some kind of uh, nurture drift that these these guys are not like, you know, the the clones aren't staying true to the original metal that was Cleon. It doesn't seem like. And
0: we questioned Demerzel's role in that last episode, right? Is is there any? Um, I wonder if we'll see more of that coming up. We definitely
1: have some uh, discussion and feedback about it.
0: Okay. Uh, Don watches Azura via his dragonfly and sees Obrecht lurking in the background uh this is ominous this is ominous to me um i don't think it's quite as quite as ominous though i think it is ominous to don um he sees obrek back there he gets a look of concern on his face but then obrek just passes and he thinks the the danger is is over i don't quite agree i'm yeah i, I expect her to show up like dead next episode because in my mind she represents mm. hope and i think mm. all hope for the empire needs to be killed off Uh, You might be right.
1: This is not going to go well for her. I have a feeling. You might be right, but also, like, I wonder, I I got when I saw the scene that the Emperor Day or Dawn is getting into the scheming game, Like he's got some information Mm. about this guy being sent on a covert mission by Elder Dusk and that he. You know, could could start his own little kind of like, you know, holding things over people's heads kind of empire. I I, I don't know. That's what I, I didn't get that. He was like, oh, God, I'm worried that this guy's going to kill my, I don't know, fucking commoner girlfriend. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> but you could be right. You could be right. He was just excited about that. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, phase three
0: of the interrogation on Terminus is apparently run by Farah as she proceeds to tell Lewis that her people live on a dying <laughs> world. <laughs> Uh, they have the ships they needed to leave, but they don't know where to go, and that's why they're trying to get the slow ships navigation module. And he just—he doesn't put up a fight at all. He doesn't have the intuition that she—that uh,
1: Salvor has. So she's leading this thing. Yeah, way to go, Louis. You got—you got you the got, uh, good cop and bad cop by the subject. She is right. Not you Can't
0: play chess with someone who's willing to set the board on fire. Mm-hmm. And. That that's a, a dangerous element, very combustible
1: element in this whole equation. Yeah, yeah. I still think that they're telling the plain truth. I, I do feel like because also, what else? Hmm. What else are they there for? What else? I, I are they feel there like for there's a, a greater
0: fulfillment. I feel like this isn't this is a you know a Martin type thing where yes, they are there for the navigation module, but they're also there for something larger, something.
1: Do you have any ideas that you couldn't just get book spoilers for? Like, is there, cause like I'm, I'm yeah, I, i I can't think of anything like what, cause terminus is just a backwater. Like they don't have their shit going. It's not like they have like, you know, all all their scientists and stuff have had time to come up with super advanced technology, or the empires collapse, and they're they're the they got the Encyclopedia galactic, and they're the only repository for tech. They 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 build a little bit of those breadcrumbs when they have Ferus say, you know, we're tank, we're we're technologically bankrupt now. Yes, uh, they're not reduced to literal bows and arrows. That was symbolic of her position. They have guns and high tech field artillery and all that kind of stuff. But like, I I wonder if they're going, yeah, I I don't, I, 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 am not annoyed. I'm just wondering where they're going with it. Yeah. This stuff
0: is not explicitly in the book. I think there, there's an element of like. Terminus does have something that no one else has that was given them by the emperor, right? This fence technology that we've talked about. Um, And I think it's telling, I, I don't know because I, I honestly don't know what, happens going forward from here um, because so much of this is not in the book right it's just glossed over 80 years in the future whatever Um, yeah 100% so my question becomes like when she says hey she describes this Vince technology as a weapon and the the weapon is only as good as the person who wields it and it makes me wonder if it's not that that they're after Um, yes they want the navigation module to get off their dying planet but also they're looking for a weapon in order to kill them all right like mm-hmm. that that's what um salvor says is actually what she wants and we don't know if that's just personally what she wants or what they want as a uh, species or whatever or race. Yeah, i guess
1: if you re, if you re- decode and recode that so it kills the genetic dynasty you could uh, do a real mopper on, on the emperor re- right emperor we don't really know how it could be used in in what ways yeah. but that
0: might be what yeah. they're actually after i don't know might be right uh, so Salvor and Hugo see the Anachron's unloading machinery near the fence and it's a flat cannon, but that doesn't make sense to Salvor. She's missing something about the bigger picture here. She says she tells Hugo that the vault has to be connected to Harry because her vision when she blacked out was in his library. The Anachrons then declare a time to raise their city and aim the flat cannon. Can I just say I've always loved the irony of the homophone that is raise. Because if you raise a city, you destroy it <laughs> right. and crumble it to the ground, which is what they say. Especially they're do. if you're
1: Amish, you can raise a barn and then <laughs> right. raise the barn and then raise right. it again. Just an endless cycle of raising. <laughs> I've always loved that. It just tickles me every time I hear the word raise in that context. It's funny.
0: Uh, but yeah, that's that's the plan here. And the beginning of the end, as befitting its name, took place on Terminus is what Gale says. Uh, speaking of Dale, yeah. she's recovered then by the ship, which is kind of a final scene here.
1: What ship though? We what is that? We don't know anything. She's just <clears> floating in her coffin, uh, in deep and suspended animation, and she goes to some kind of I don't know. Like I, I thought maybe it's one of those jump gates we we're talking about that she was just going to schlep back. But yeah, in transit. I think it's a uh, ship. Yeah, I thought is a little bit. I, I I felt like it was a little bit uh, self-conscious on the show's part to show this like. Like six second scene, just like hey, dude, we have what forgotten. Oh, sure. It's like, I didn't think you did. No, no, <laughs> you no, know? I didn't need to see the six scenes, but like, I, I wonder what the thinking was behind the, that tease. Um, yeah, but yeah, I mean, it's like, That's why,
0: okay, cool.
1: That's why ultimately, I, I don't have any stakes as far as like terminus because. I think they're right. Harry Seldon can predict all of what's happening right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, maybe like individuals will die that I care about, but like mm-hmm. terminus is going to be fine. I mean, the show is called foundation. So <laughs> I'm pretty sure it will be whatever it needs to be. Um, sure. But, uh, what?
0: Yeah, that's, that's it for the episode.
1: Yeah. I was What should we, should we go right into feedback? Yeah, let's do it. We'll get the feedback right after we take a quick break. Okay, let's get the feedback. Of course, the way you send us feedback is foundation at baldmove.com. dot uh, Jim, guess what? Hmm. Someone took us up on that offer, and it was no, none other than the the showrunner David S. Goyer. Now, I, <laughs> I will <laughs> I say it. that like I don't have any way to independently verify that it's them, but like. I, the the email address might it.
0: check out. I don't. I don't know. I'm the not going like to give it away. The email address might check
1: out. There's certain, but you know, like uh, I don't think there's anything that the uh, they said that's provable that you couldn't get from the official. And, and we've we've been uh, we've been catfished. It's been a while. It's been eight or nine years. But we've been catfished a time or two before. Uh, I'll say but, I'm, uh, I'm excited with a healthy
0: dose of skepticism, but uh-huh. but, but that's my <laughs> default state. So.
1: Uh, but yeah, we, uh, he, he sent us an email. I'll, I'll read uh, a little bit of it here. He says, uh, crew member, turned me on to your podcast. Uh, of course, you know, David, David Goyer is the showrunner. He's the showrunner and creator of the foundation TV series. The level of detail and discourse you guys explore is a lot of fun and really impressive. It's also nice to know the bulk of the metaphors we've been tossing out are landing. Um, it said, uh, as far as the end of your episode three podcast, one of your listeners mentioned a criticism regarding the lack of security surrounding the star bridge. While your defense is valiant, the criticism is valid. There should have been better security or rather there were better security measures in place. We're picking up on how those measures could have been circumvented, quote, uh, dot, 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 eventually. Mm. So apparently uh, our listener was picking up a breadcrumb there that uh, it should have been much harder. And uh, part of the investigation is going to reveal, you know, I'm actually surprised to hear that because I thought we essentially were told that there was two numerous leads and they'll never figure it out. And it's been 35 Mm -hmm. years. So like, I'm actually kind of gobsmacked that that's going to come back and be relevant. Time jumps. A lot of time jumps, a lot of time jumps. Uh, And they also, uh, he also says on the, uh, as far as the, your discussion of water clock versus sundial. Yeah, fair enough. In our defense, the original version of the scene was longer and mentioned the issue of needing water for life. Sometimes for a whole variety of reasons, certain things are dropped in the edit. Uh, sure. yeah, we did, we did roast your water clock scene. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Uh, but, uh, I won't, <laughs> I certainly not promising not to roast things in the future. So we invited, we invited David on to, at some point to, to talk about uh, the podcast further. We'll see if he takes us up on that offer, if he can get it clear. Cause you know, they're doing the official podcast. Maybe Apple doesn't want him, uh, micing it up with the uh, other podcasters. and I want to step on Jason's toes either for that matter. Sure. Uh, but, uh, yeah, if he wants to come in and, uh, and, and talk more than just the, cause I mean, Official podcast seems like they 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 got like a 30 40 you know forty five minute limit. Clearly, this does not apply to us. <laughs> so we can do we, fifteen we have, hours if
0: you want. We we <laughs> have a long
1: we have a very long form uh forum a platform to talk yeah. on. So uh that 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 is tickled to death uh, when I saw that pop up. That's uh, first time first time a showrunner's crashed her feedback. So uh pretty cool. Uh, Doug L I don't think this is the Doug L classic this is not the, the lawyer Doug L mm, I think this okay. is a, a new Doug L Doug L the second you, you might say a clone uh, with of Doug re- L it's brother Doug <laughs> it's brother Doug. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, with regard uh, oh so that's yeah it's brother Dougie brother Doug and brother Douglas oh Douglas as a mature yeah I like yeah, yeah. It. Uh, With regard to sequels, you're talking about the book sequels here. It says they're great. They're very worth reading. Uh, Have not read the prequels. However, they're very Dark Tower like Uh, nearly all of Asimov's prior series feed back into foundation. I I heard that a lot of his later works was just him building inroads back into the uh, his his classic series. Anyway, Seawell says, "Okay, I've not read up on the books. In fact, I've not even heard that there's a foundation series before I started watching this, so I'll defer to the men of the science fictions. I suppose that's that's us uh The first time through, I thought Raish was a piece of shit. just took <laughs> upon himself to frame Gale with the murder of Harry and is in some sleeper cell with a terrorist group that took out the space elevator. That's mm-hmm. not a terrible conclusion. like like it I think the show kind of wants you to think that It's a still um, a possibility for sure." It's true it makes sense given that he seemed awfully bothered by something in the entire second episode yeah like he's shit like it feels like his mm-hmm. faith in Harry has been shook and then it gets reinforced with Gale saying I don't know about the, the equations are not 100% they're not fully fleshed out kind of um, he seems so upset when they watch the sundown and she mentioned having a family with him on Terminus the pieces lined up so well but he could also be uh, on, on my second time through seen as honoring some sort of deal with him uh, Harry's smart, but he's not always right. Yeah, that's the side I come down on. I think mm-hmm. that Harry intentionally had him kill himself and then either, fr- I, I think, frame Gale. Uh, because the Empire mentioned in this episode that uh, Harry Seldon's widely seen as being killed by his own protege. Could be Raish, but I feel like the protege was always used in terms of Gale, right? Yeah, I think you're right about that. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we'll 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 see. I, it's uh, I I don't know. I, I this didn't happen in the book, and I'm kind of in the dark about it. But it does feel like something that Harry might have put. The, you know, but then again, this individual stuff uh, kind of goes against history. But I I so does it count? Does an individual action count if it's essentially the individual action of like throwing a stone into the water to make a ripple? Like that's an individual stone, but the effect is the ripples. Right. And I like it could be the one person can have an engineered effect. Like for example, if you killed the, the, the head luminance, uh, whatever they, 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 called her, uh, Zephyr Opal or whatever. Um, if someone assassinated her, it would sure enough, have a ripple through 3 trillion people, even though that was an act of a one, uh, could be an act of a lone gun person. Yeah. I mean, um, the stuff happening on terminus
0: right now is, is a result of the act of a single man, the emperor right. Right? deciding to right. blow their home world up. So, yes exactly yeah there there is some overlap in like individual actions and macro uh effects but it, we need we need some way to frame to easily like shorthand two sides of a theory because like there is the theory that yes this is all just a plain reading and then there's the theory that like well no this is actually part of a larger plan and same things happening here with this episode right with the anacreon's I feel like we should go with like a crowns and cats sort of coin like one side of the coin the crown is the plain reading right the Mm -hmm. emperor is looking at what's happening and shit in his pants right Right. Uh, doesn't know what to do and then the the real shit's happening over on the cat side
1: Uh where they're cunning they're smart they know what's up it's mysterious why why even this obscure cat uh, on the official imperial coinage it's it's uh, must mean something bigger yeah so I come down the cat side with a Oh, Harry Seldon's death. Uh, speaking of cats, Sewell uh, said, Ma was fascinated by a floor and fauna of planets. Can you guys go into what exactly is a bishop's claw if you don't think it's a spoiler or anything? Are bishop's claws in the book? No, not that I know of. Yeah, I think this is just a piece of world building. They just had to come up with a sick-ass name for uh, a ferocious, or not even that ferocious, it turns out, ferocious beast of the, the backwaters here. And uh, they, they yeah. did it.
0: I will be surprised or disappointed, let's say, if there isn't a class of ship named a
1: Bishop's Claw at some point in the series. Those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Found one found. Yeah, there's got a yeah, I, it's a great it's a, name. It is a great name and I don't want to get in a spoiler, so I need to shut this down. Oh. Uh, let's move on to Daniel hmm. J. Uh, Jim mentioned the noticeable noise in ADR in episode three. I actually I noticed this in episode because I was watching this at an airport at least one time and I had my Bluetooth earbuds in and Uh, i could hear like pan to pan like a little audible hiss versus it going away uh and daniel spry got the likely explanation in the official podcast the showrunner said they were filming in some especially windy locations one of the places names actually translated to strong wind because of this (laughs) they had to re-record a lot of the dialogue for scenes set in those places uh love your discussion well thank you daniel um i thought that was a hilarious conversation because like you always hear that, right? Like uh, George Lucas will be like, you know, we went to uh, the uh, fjords of Iceland because we thought it would look like Hoth. And it turns out it's negative 80 below. And we almost all died <laughs> like we've been making movies for over 100 years. Is there not like a big book of Hollywood locations that says, hey, if you want to go get this place, you got to get it March through June, because otherwise yeah. The winds are eighty. Like Kevin Costner fucking sinks a water world ship, and David Goyer's like throwing away half his day. The, 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 there's there's gotta be like some kind of fucking a Hitchhiker's Guide to Movie Locations, so you know when you need to go film Tatooine in Tun- Tunisia, and you know when you need to go film Hoth in Iceland. Because yeah. otherwise, yeah, we can't we, we can't be inventing the wi- this, 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 we know where all the cool places on Earth are, right? We've got hundreds of years of weather records. Let's put them together is all I'm saying. Yeah. Location scouts need a database for this stuff at the very least. Yeah. Maybe we'd save a million or two per episode Mm -hmm. uh, if if we had this kind of resource for filmmakers. But but I mean, I noticed it in places where the
0: wind levels seem to be easily controlled, like inside of buildings Um, in the throne room. Specifically, I noticed it last episode, but maybe there were some other issues as
1: well. Uh, a gentleman named Cathal uh, drops a line and says, hey, guys, it's the Irish Monk here. I'm enjoying the show and your coverage. Well, thank you, Cathal. Mm-hmm. One aspect of the show which bugs me, though it's only episode four, is the dichotomy and character development between Trantor and Terminus. This is something we've talked about. Jim reiterated this episode. At first, I thought it's just my preference for intrigue storylines over action sequences or maybe it's a setting You got luxurious golds oranges materials wood glass in one setting versus barren cold volcanic and might ma- makeshift camps at the other i think that's a lot of i think it's a lot of it aesthetics is important sure or maybe it's just a distance or disconnection between the worlds that was jarring but i realized that all these factors were also present in the expanse uh, a show i adore the stories on earth and mars versus the belt and beyond you know don't want to Spoil things here, but uh, could it be that the foundation's writer room is split into two units, like the shooting units at various locations? For your information, Sheldon's library was shot at the university, they went here in Dublin, Ireland. So they have, they talked about this in this, I think it was the second episode, how this is like just a globe spanning affair. I think they shot in five different countries. They get these alien looks the way they wanted to. Um, he says it's hard to put a, figure, a finger on why there is such a shift in feel between story settings. Uh, maybe it's deliberate. Maybe we're meant to feel cold and distant when we join the characters in Terminus. I think that's there, too, mm-hmm. because Goyer did talk about, like, getting, you know, there's a there's kind of like a, a closed-off, hunched-in, like, arms crossed, like, everything small and shivery quality you get from the stuff in Terminus because these actors are cold. It's very cold and windy where they're shooting, like, yeah. like it would be. Um, but it might be more to do with the shared emotional beats of the characters despite being only four episodes in. I still love the show, and I'm interested in your thoughts. Um,
0: I think this would be a great question to ask uh, Mr. Goyer if he were to come on the
1: show. I do think there's a lot to it that, like, the time jumps just made it very hard to interleave these stories together, so they felt isolated, and I think the 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 good, the, uh, uh, a substantial part of the middle of this season is probably going to be showing how these are very much connected. And there might even be like a passing of the baton from of importance. So we're like, you know, as the empire gets more and more stagnatey and fragmenty, I don't think it's a spoiler to say that yeah. the empire <laughs> Harry Seldon's right. The the Empire is not long for mm-hmm. the world. Psycho history is accurate. Uh that that you might have feel like a shift as especially as Terminus kind of takes off and becomes you know uh more established more powerful you might you might feel that the uh that that allegiance to storyline shifting.
0: there's a definite difference in the storytelling methods that they're using too in these two places, right the intrigue and like the maneuvering and a lot more of the the uh motifs and themes that they're going for happening on the empire side, the terminus side at this point has been a lot of mystery. Um, like, n- not knowing what's happening, uh, questioning things, and those two storytelling t- styles both interest me, but one interests me more than the other, and it's the intrigue, yeah. it's the political maneuvering, um, yeah. it's, it's connecting the dots thematically, all that stuff. So I'm appreciating that more, but yes, th- there is a big difference in the storytelling on these sides.
1: Uh, okay. Brian has a crazy theory I says I'm writing a quick line as I'm uh, or I'm writing this real quick as I'm in line to pick up the kids. It just occurred to me. I think the Galactic Empire lost the robot wars. I think the Kleons think they're clones, but they're actually robots. That's Why? They have no umbilical oh cords God. in the stomachs. It's behind their neck and out of sight. Even to them, the babies had a chip in their template. I think that's true. I don't know if we talked about this, but did they? There's something on its forehead, a little black box um uh, and you couldn't be down there to to, to investigate more why not mm-hmm. if only to hide the truth of what's really going on from from the empire themselves mm. uh they have that force field around them so no one can see them bleed like when the Demerzel got hurt why she so nervous with brother don to get out of the scar also when they die they get cremated so there's no decaying remains there's no you know obviously mm-hmm. uh uh what, what what do you call that an autopsy uh, but clean the First was never cremated, and uh, uh, so because he's the the real deal, and also the ashes are a natural steel blue. I, I I don't know what I don't know disintegration ashes from unnatural blue steel ashes. You know that's an unnatural <laughs> process. Sure. Uh, the disintegration
0: of matter. It's you not burning. Would be an unnatural process, and this is the only fly in your ointment here. Um, the robots growing and changing their physical appearance over time i i think that's the one problem with this theory is that they would certainly notice nine-year-old ten-year-old dawn growing into 19-year-old dawn into 30-year-old da- day right and it Each- would have to be you would have to say that Dimmerzel can age or that she's created some technology that can age robots if you want to patch that over it's a big ass. There
1: are actually thirty-two thousand android <laughs> bodies for Klingon, and they, they're each one uh, day older, and they just kind of shift shift the, the consciousness every night through a 30 year cycle. That's I how love they it. that's how they do it. Yeah. <laughs> See how conspiracy theories work? I just made another sure. one. Disprove it. Checkmate. I can't. I can't. Checkmate robot denier. <laughs> uh i mean i don't know brian you might be reading too much into it but like that's part of the fun or shows like these right we'll see no it's a neat idea that's my only objection long odds lots of internet points involved if you're right so Mm -hmm. so hold on to those tickets uh finally andrew clark uh has says i've been enjoying uh the foundation and your podcast about it quite a bit i've come to the series having read and loved all of asimov's uh robot empire and foundation stories I know you've been spending a lot of time wondering if Demerzel might be up to something nefarious, not going too much detail or to spoil anything. I'll just say that unless the TV series is completely changing their nature, she's literally incapable of doing anything to harm humanity. The well-being of humanity is such a priority for her that she'd actually cease functioning if she were to do anything that worked against it. So you don't really need to worry about that.
0: I should or have understood we? this. I, you know, I should, I should have thought about this with Asimov's rules, his robotics. So like rules. He's
1: he's referring to the, the, the Asimov's rules of ro- robotics. So yeah. I, I mean, I guess we could, maybe we should, uh, uh, if this becomes more relevant, um, quote chapter and verse, but it's all about like a robot, uh, cannot harm itself. Um, and they're like, they're like, uh, in, in order of like least importance to most importance. Uh, a robot must mm-hmm. obey all orders given to it by a human and a robot cannot allow a human to take uh, to to suffer harm through action or an inaction on its part. Um, and that's the the most
0: important, right?
1: That's the most important. And then there is also I think you're referring to here, Andrew, the zero with law, which is a, a, like late in the, the, the robot series that he's written a cup. These are something the robots infer about their nature that like actually individual humans are important but what's really important is the continuity of the human race like i might disobey an order from a madman that wants me to nuke a whole world because there's a trillion people are going to die versus satisfying the you know despotism of one person
0: yeah and the thing is the trolley
1: problem is a very real problem for sure a robot without that right but, like, as a big fan of Asimov, I'm surprised you say, like, you don't really need to, to, to worry about that because, like, I feel like a lot of Asimov's works were all about finding the daylight and the moral dilemmas mm-hmm. for robots in and uh, following that. And also, just because Demersel might understand that she's serving all of humanity does not mean that she would be loyal to the Empire now, would it? Mm-hmm. Like, if if she thinks that, like, disposing Empire would or maybe she believes in psychohistory. And she thinks that we should. So, like, that's the yeah. thing. Like, you have the rule. The rules are created not to to limit the storytelling possibilities. They were created to explore mm-hmm. the contradictions in, in, a, in a strange kind of uh, philosophical, you know, meta, meta-ethical framework. Uh, artificial one. So, like, I, I think that, like, yeah, there's still a lot to worry about, quote-unquote. And also, this is an adaptation, not to books. Like, they could just, you know fuck the the rules of robotics obviously well they've already changed a,
0: things right the the, uh, the clone yeah. nature of the emperor becomes this other layer on top of these rules of robotics that that sure. draws a whole host of questions from maybe dimmerzel no longer
1: sees them as human because they got no souls <laughs> uh, <laughs> right she does she did get weepy eyed at that uh can do what you want step. to them yeah but uh, that's what I'm saying. Like, so, and, and the other thing is like in this universe and this version of the story, mankind's fought a long and bitter war against the robots and destroyed them all. Now, if all the robots were following the rules of robotics, I don't understand how a war ever broke out. Fair. So in this universe, I think there is plenty to worry about, but mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, I get it. The, 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 the laws of robotics and all that. Uh, but thanks for the commentary. Uh, appreciate everybody's feedback. Uh, mm-hmm. In, including uh, Mr. goyers, if you would like to send us some, please do so at foundation at baldmove dot com uh promise we'll we'll read it. not sure if everything will make it to the air because like we are getting a lot of feedback, but uh we'll read read as much as we have time for um uh and yeah, thanks a lot. It's foundation at baldmove dot com. We will be back. Another exciting thing is uh, we just got cleared to get the this, this, uh, screeners for uh, the rest of the season of Foundation. So we might actually be able to. I don't know if we'll be able to do it this week, but we might be able to advance the clock and uh, get a little bit ahead so we can start releasing Foundation like the same date and time that it releases like some of the other podcasts we do that we get screeners for. So we're pretty mm-hmm. excited about that. Uh, uh, you know, it, since uh, it comes out on Friday, it's always been like Monday feels like a long time to get a podcast out. but honestly. Takes that much time to research and think about it and all that kind of get get the watches we need. Now we got screeners, we might be able to, to, to hustle that up a little bit. So that should be good news. I, it's especially late this week because again I got delayed on travel, uh, so it's it's a it's a whole day late. So I apologize for that. One last time, foundationofbaldmove.com. dot com. We'll be back for episode five sometime within a few days of being released. Uh, and then from season six or episode six on, hopefully we'll be getting them out uh, Friday when the episode drops. So that'll be fun. Uh, come back next week. We'll talk about more. Uh, I almost said expand, expands. We'll talk about more foundation until then. I'm Aaron and I'm Jim. See ya.